1: Hey, my name's Hunter. I am a junior at the University of Alabama. Uh, I'm a nursing student there. I started going to ACF when I was about 14 after some pretty bad experiences with church growing up. My walk with God definitely had some, like, uh, some pretty bad faltering steps. I, I still did a lot of stupid stuff. Coming here, I always felt like I had a place to talk about it and like grow from those mistakes instead of just living in shame and allowing it to separate me from God more than they already had. And then when I was 16, my parents got divorced pretty suddenly. I definitely don't think I would have gotten through that situation as well as I did uh, without Uh, Pastor Josh and the other pastors here. The time I felt most at home with ACF was actually a time I wasn't even here. Uh, I started attending the University of Alabama um, as a nursing student in the fall of 2017. I um, started to have really bad sleep anxiety. I was, like, deathly afraid of falling asleep, which doesn't really make sense, but uh, I would start to... um, like, set alarms throughout the night. I was setting one every hour throughout the night because I was afraid that, like, I wasn't gonna wake up because God was mad at me or North Korea's gonna nuke us, like, uh, the usual. Uh, I remember one night I just had, I just, it was really bad, and I, I decided to pick up the phone and call Pastor Josh. He was the first person out of anybody that I told about this. And uh, it was really refreshing to feel like I still had like somewhere I belonged even though I wasn't even remotely close. And he really pushed me to stay involved and make sure that I like really lean on God in this situation and lean on a local church down there and make relationships. And then one day I just, I realized that like I wasn't dealing with anything anymore. Um, I wasn't setting alarms to go to bed. Like now I have Closer relationships than I've ever had with people down there. I think that's what makes ACF different, is that no matter where you're from or where you are, either on your like spiritual journey or physically, when you're across the country, like you always have a home. Whenever I come back home, I always feel like there's open arms from the community, from the pastoral staff. It's really refreshing to feel like you always have a place, no matter where you are in your life. My name's Hunter, and that's why I need church.
0: It's so good. Hey, we're so glad that you're here today. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here at ACF, and we are starting a brand new series of talks today called Who Needs Church? And for us as a community, this is really a, a, an important, transformative season. For us, I really feel like God has positioned us for this series, for today, for our church. And the term that I've been throwing out is that this is really a season of recalibration for ACF. Um, any hunters in the room? A few hunters? Okay. So what you know is that at the end of hunting season, the first thing that you want to do is recite in your rifle, right? Because if you're anything like me, uh, throughout the hunting season, you're going to hit that thing on trees and drop it in the mud and rocks. And after a little while, the scope's going to get a little, a little off, a little crooked, right? And, and the last thing you want to do is to be missing your shot at the most important moment. And And I would say for many of us, when it comes to our faith, if we're honest, that many of us feel like we're kind of missing the shots, right? Like everything's maybe just a little off in our lives. And I would say that even as a church, you guys, we can end up in that place as well. Even as a church, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves doing church and gathering together every week and yet doing it apart from the power and the work of Jesus. You guys know we can do that, right? We can do this every single week and get together, sing songs, open the Word, and yet we can do that without tapping into the power of God for here and for today. And so our heart in this series is really to push up against that, is to recalibrate ourselves as a church since we're off-site this summer. And many of you here today, maybe you have been in a season where you've thought that, that very thought, who needs church? I would bet that there's probably someone here today who's maybe one step away from never coming back to church. And I would say throughout our culture and the people in our neighborhoods and towns, they find themselves in a very similar place. That there's sort of this slow shift away from the church, away from seeing importance and value in the community of God. And this has been going on for a long time, and so for us, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the book of Acts together. And I've been reading this for months, just reading commentaries and walking through this book in my own study. And you guys, listen, the, the early church, we just see so much power in the church. We see so much activity through the Holy Spirit. We see miraculous things. And I want you to know as we start off this series that God wants to do that today. That we're not going to study this simply for information, but for transformation. That God would change our hearts. We don't need to simply get a history lesson. That does us no good, right? We don't need to simply understand what happened in the early church. We actually need to see how God wants to continue that work here in our lives today. But I would say still, so many people find themselves, even maybe here today, thinking, who needs church? What's the point? Why am I doing this? And I will tell you, for you guys, you are the elite Because you're here on a Sunday morning in the summer in Alaska. So give yourselves a hand. You showed up for church today. No, it's a big deal. I get it. I know that some of you were second-guessing your decision. Even coming in today, you got their fish are running. Are are the kings being caught yet? You know, I think the reds are running. There's great stuff going on. And yet we still sort of do this thing. And and some of you are once-a-monthers. Some of you are twice a month or some of you are every week. Others, others of you, you are here at like, you know, Easter and you just wandered back here today for some reason, which where, wherever you're at, I hope that you know that God wants to speak to you right where you are. And he wants to meet you right where you are, and that's, that is the story of Jesus. As Jesus comes to earth, he takes on the skin of humanity and meets us right where we are. And so whether you love the church, you love this thing, you're, you're so excited to worship and to be here today, or you aren't really excited and your wife drug you to church today, wherever you're at, I believe that God really has something for you, but I would say for most people, in our community that aren't here on a a typical Sunday morning, for them, the church has sort of become obsolete, right? And there's a lot of things that have become obsolete over the years. The the first thing I thought of was was this. It's been a while since I've seen one of these. Anybody? Okay, be honest. Who still has one of these in their house? A few of you? All right. Uh, More of you than I thought still have VCRs. I was looking for one the other day uh, to play a tape that we had, and I simply couldn't find one, right? Uh, Show us the next thing that's become obsolete. If you're under the age of 18, this is called film. Um, And what we used to do is we used to go to Walmart, we would bring our film in, we'd drop it off, we'd have to wait two weeks, we'd come back and we'd open the little filing cabinet, you remember that? And then you have to pick through and find your last name and you'd pull out this little package with all of your photos, right? And some would turn out, some would not, and you just, you got what you got, right, in the end. But this is something that's sort of become obsolete, right? What else do we have? Static on TV, right? We don't even experience this anymore, right? We have digital TV, and so the analog isn't something that we experience. That, that old-fashioned, right? We remember that sound. Some of you have no idea. All right, next one. Fax machine. Anybody have a fax machine at your office? Right, because we're, we're scanning things, right, with our phones, and we use different scan apps to make sure we can send different uh, documents, right? How about the next one? Corded phones. We went to Aklutna to go camping a few weeks ago, and we're driving by a payphone, and my kids were like, "Daddy, what is that? Right? They want to take their picture next to this thing. It's a corded phone, kids. You've never seen one before." But unfortunately, this isn't the last thing that people see as obsolete. When people see this, right? When your friends and your family, your neighbors that are not part of the church see this, they get all kinds of emotions and feelings. And in so many ways, when people see this, what they see are empty buildings, right? Uh, Sort of churches that, that aren't alive and thriving. They think of something that is old and out of date. And the thing is, when something is old and out of date, something is obsolete or seemingly obsolete, we are forced to make a decision, aren't we? At some point, we have to decide, do we keep this in our lives or do we get rid of it? You know, I I remember I went back home to uh, hang out with my parents. And uh, this was just a, a little while ago, just a few years ago. And I walked downstairs and my dad had purchased this sound system probably 30 years ago. And I remember he'd saved up for it. It was a really big deal. The speakers were like this tall, right? Because they had to be back in the 80s and early 90s. And they were just huge. And all of this, he had a record player and a tape player. And I was like, Dad, when are you ever going to get rid of that, right? Because you don't use any of it anymore. And, And for most of us, when it comes to anything, we have to decide at some point, is it worth keeping? And for some people, for many people, the church is something that they've just decided isn't worth keeping in their lives. And what is it that would keep us coming back to the church? What is it that would keep us continually leaning in to the family of God? And, and this trend away from church isn't something new. I mean, really, this has been happening a long time, That especially in the U.S., this trend of just, you know, going to church on Sunday morning and being part of, of the, the Christian faith is something that's going away, for better or for worse. And so back in the 80s, there was this explosion of, of what we call the megachurch, And this was a brand new thing, we'd never seen this before, but all of a sudden there were people gathering in crowds of thousands, and and up to 10,000 people were were gathering together in these huge churches, and the desire was to create this amazing experience, you know, the best production, the best location, all the best buildings, and, and maybe we could bridge the gap for those who felt like they didn't need church, right? And so that was a, a huge response to it. And then I remember early in the, in the 90s and early 2000s, there was this shift towards uh, the missional church movement, which was like, man, I don't know if the, the big church is working anymore, so let's just do house church, right? Let's run away from mega churches, let's be in the house church, let's meet in small groups and small settings, and then maybe in that way we can reach our friends and neighbors who feel like they don't need church and then from there, I've seen in the past few years, maybe uh, churches shifting more towards community outreach and doing things that are very much meeting felt needs, sort of the social justice movement, right? And so we're, we're meeting all these felt needs on a global scale, which are these amazing things that we should be doing in hopes of showing the world around us that there is power in the church and that God is alive and active, not just in history, but in the church today, and we did all of this in hopes of meeting those who felt like they didn't need church. And what I want to tell you today is none of those things are bad. You can you take pot shots at any form of gathering in the church if you want to, but none of those things are intrinsically bad. They're all simply a desire to help show people the value of Jesus in the world today. But here's what I feel like I've realized As a pastor and as somebody who's been around the church for quite some time, I've realized that people aren't simply disenfranchised with what we do on Sunday morning. The problem isn't so much, and this is a hard truth for us if you're a Christian here today, the problem isn't so much, is church cool enough? Is it trendy enough? Is it meeting my needs? I really think the problem is deeper, what if the reason people are walking away from church isn't because of the gathering or the Sunday morning thing? I want you to ask the question, what if it's us? What if it's us as individuals? What if, there's, what if when people look at my life who are not part of the church and they, they, they look in it and they're like, I just don't see anything that's worth asking questions about. I just don't see anything that's worth finding out more about. And so honestly, who needs it? I'd rather be fishing, right? I'd rather be doing something else on a Sunday morning because it doesn't look like it's changed your life, so why should I think that it would change mine? And so this is a really important thing for us to wrestle through as we walk into the next season, right? We're going to move back into our building this fall. I'm really excited about it. But listen, this is a chance for us to pop the hood on ACF and ask ourselves the question, why do we do this? And I want you, this, may be, this is probably not something pastors tend to ask people to do, but I want you to ask yourself a question, why am I going to come back next week? Like, why do I value this? Why would I ever decide to gather together on a Sunday morning with other believers? What is the point? And I hope through this series that you can find an answer to that question, because there are some great answers to that question. And the first thing we need to do is separate, I think, the word church. Uh, The New Testament word for church is the word ekklesia. Can you guys say that? Say ekklesia. Yeah, ekklesia is the New Testament word for church. It simply means those publicly called out. So, So once again, you've maybe heard this a thousand times, but the church is not a building. Thank God. God does not reside in some kind of building. He's not stuck inside of bricks and mortar. He lives in his people. He works through his people. God is alive and active in the world. And so the ecclesia are those who are publicly called out of the world, those who are different than the world. And that people in our neighborhoods and workplaces can see it. They can see, hey, ACF Church is not a building. It's you and me. And when I think of ACF, I think of something that's been publicly, publicly called out, like I can see a visible difference in those people, and it's inspiring, and it causes me to ask some questions, right? So that's our heart. And so as we walk through the book of Acts, the first thing I want you to do, you got a little green slip on your seat. Would you pull that out real quick? I don't know if I got one here. I don't, but you guys probably got one. A little green slip that is a reading plan for the rest of this series, so I want to challenge you, if you're the person who's like, I honestly haven't read my Bible in a while, um, it's pretty dusty, that this is your chance to dive in, right? Um, or if you've got the Bible app on your phone, but it's on like the fourth page of all your apps, hidden in some, or you're like a really religious person, so you put it on the front page so your friends can see it when you open up Facebook to get the Bible app, it's just me, I guess. Um, but whatever it is, if you just haven't spent any time in there recently, I just want to ask you to start. For, for the For the rest of the summer, as we walk through the book of Acts, uh, here's the thing. you can read through the whole book of Acts in about two and a half hours. I've done it. It takes about two and a half hours. It's not that difficult. And so for you to read a chapter or so a week should be completely doable. I mean, really easy reading. But if you're in, you know, a couple weeks, like, who's Stephen and who's Saul? You're just going to be lost and I can't help you, okay? So I'm not going to follow up on everything that we've talked about. And also, we're going to cover some large chunks of Scripture. We won't be doing verse by verse. We'd be in this for the next, you know, two years. And so there's going to be some things that we miss that you will need to, to hear and to read for your own study time. So make sure you do, you do that. And this book, if you don't know anything about it, uh, was written by a man named Luke. And Luke, in fact, he's, he's known as a, a, as a physician. In fact, he's, he's called by, by Paul, a, my beloved physician. He travels around with Paul and, and probably had relationships with Mark and, and Matthew and used them as resources. But this guy, Luke, when he, he wrote his gospel, the gospel of Luke, was intending to write it for the Gentiles, for the, the unchurched, right? Those outsiders that were to be reached with the good news of the gospel, And so what we know about the the book of Acts is it actually is, it's a sequel. It's part two of two books, also known as Luke-Acts, okay? And and so we we know that this guy, Luke, wrote both of these books. He's an educated man. So that's important that you know. We talk a lot about how the disciples were sort of these uneducated fishermen. Um, That's not Luke. Luke is a well-educated man. He's a doctor. Um, He had the ability to make lots of money, provide a, a very comfortable lifestyle for himself, And he gave a lot of that up so that he could tell the story of what happened in the church and what happened in the life of Christ and what happened in the church after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And the last thing you need to know about this book is really this, it's still being written. The story's still being told. So as we read this, we're not simply reading the story of them. Listen, we are reading the story of us. And we today are the continuation of God's work in and through his church. And his desire, somebody asked me between services, was like, do you think the book of Acts is like, like for us? Or do you think it's just something, something that happened in their time? And I want to tell you the answer is both. It's both of those things. God's desire is both to, to, to tell us what happened then, but also to show us that he wants to continue to empower his church today. And that's, that's awesome, right? Because when you read this book, if you've read it, there's some crazy stuff that happens. I mean, someone preaches a sermon and thousands of people get saved and baptized. And it's incredible. It's amazing. Okay, so you guys ready? Yes. Six of you. My wife is ready. Thank you, Amanda. I love you. Open your, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 or your phones or whatever you're following along with uh, today. We're going to start off in verse 1. Here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So once again, Luke is saying, I wrote a first book. That was the book of Luke. And he's writing to this man, Theophilus. We don't know much about him except for that he was probably a financial supporter of the, of the church, the first century church. And, and this, is, this is him giving sort of an update of what's happening in the church. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, Okay, so we know he's writing this to Theophilus, and this is a, a letter about the happenings of the early church. And then he says there is this, this charge, this issue of a, of a charge to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing, the first question is really, why would, why would he do that? Why would Jesus say, wait on the Spirit? And the simple answer is this, if they didn't wait on the power of the Spirit, they were going to screw it up. Just as much as for you and I, when we're simply operating out of our own physical strength or ability to just kind of muster up strength, it's not going to work out. We're going to see a lot of problems. And so he's saying, listen, wait on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But then we see the mention of this man, John the Baptist, right? Which for many of you are like, is he a Baptist? What does that mean? He likes potlucks? Like, I don't know what that means that John, sorry, bad Baptist jokes. I came from a Baptist background, so if you're a Baptist... I love you. So what does that mean? Simply, it just means that John was a baptizer. He shows up baptizing people in water, okay? And we're introduced to this whole new thing, this idea of baptism being this symbol of a new people, the symbol of a set-apart people of God, okay? And so John shows up doing this, and when he starts baptizing people, he infuriates the religious leaders because they thought, we don't need a new symbol of those who were set apart, They had a different symbol. That symbol was something called circumcision, and that's a whole other sermon that would be kind of interesting. We're not going to preach on that too much, but that was the symbol or the the sign of a people who are God's people, right? So John shows up, and he's baptizing people, right? He's baptizing the Jews and the Gentiles, people from different backgrounds, and saying you can be part of this new family to come through Jesus, and so it's this, this kind of story of, of telling that Jesus would come and there'd be this, this new covenant that we would have under Christ Jesus. So John shows up and he infuriates the religious leaders with this new thing. And he says, hey, people were baptized in, in water. Now there's this new thing coming. People are going to actually be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. That, that the church is empowered by God who actually lives inside of his people. And That's incredible. But when I read this, I was thinking, why were these religious leaders so upset that John was baptizing people? And it was simply this. They thought, you know, this symbol is enough. Hey, we already, we already did this. Like, like infants would be circumcised at a very young age, right? And that that was their sign of being a set-apart people. And for many of you, maybe in the room, maybe you were baptized as an infant. Maybe you got baptized and somebody said, this is my symbol of this person being set apart. But John shows up, listen to this, he shows up to say, listen, you are not simply saved by your heritage. You're not saved by a decision your parents made. You are actually saved by following Jesus. It's a a, a personal choice that you and only you can make, right? And so he's baptizing people, and I want to stop for just... A moment, and kind of do a spoiler alert. We're doing baptism today, and I'm going to invite you after church to make a decision to go outside and to get baptized, like today, today after church. Um, we've got a tank out front. I was told it's a hundred degree water, so in case you're wondering. The steam is flowing off that water. So we baptize people in the first service. We're going to baptize people in this service. But I'm going to give you an invitation to do exactly that. Because what you're going to see as you walk through the first few chapters of the book of Acts is that what happened was that there would be a, a presentation of the good news. That you could be saved by grace and grace alone. And that Jesus could change your life and that he was the fulfillment of all of the prophecy of what would come in the Messiah. And that he is here and he's ready to change your life. And that would be presented to people and thousands of people would hear that. And it's historically seen that thousands of people heard that and they, were, they, they would make a decision to follow Jesus. And then the first thing that they would do was get baptized. There was no separation It wasn't like, hey, get saved, and then in a few years, when you feel like you've kind of figured out your Christianity, when you figured out your theology, then at that point, maybe that you can get baptized. No. At that point, the symbol of baptism was was woven into that, that first step of obedience as somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus. And the idea of baptism, I know it's weird for some of you, if you're not a church person, if you're kind of the, the person that maybe Luke was trying to write to, sort of the unchurched or the de-churched, the idea of baptism is a strange thing, right? Where else do we all stand around and watch somebody get dunked in the water, right? It's just kind of a, it's not a secret handshake. I, I, sometimes I wish it was that simple, right? Like you get saved and then you just need to go in the corner and have a little secret handshake with the pastor. Then it's good, right? But no, there was this idea that when your life is changed by Jesus, you go public with that decision. I mean, for them, it was, it, was not a, it was not a separate thing. It was not Christianity 2.0. This was Christianity 1.0 was going public with your faith. So I want to answer some questions because I think sometimes we breeze through into baptism really quickly. I think we rush into it sometimes. Uh, the first is just, what is baptism? The first thing you need to know is that baptism is a personal announcement of Jesus as the forgiver and leader of your life. And see, I think a lot of people have maybe prayed some kind of prayer in church at some point, or maybe grown up in the church, and when you think about Jesus taking your sins upon himself, it's, it's powerful, right? And it's emotional, the idea that we could be reconciled to a holy God because we all know what we've done, we all know where we've been, we all know what we've thought, and we know what we continue to do. And the idea that God would meet us and forgive us right there is absolutely mind-boggling. That God says, I want a relationship with you right there in that place. I want to heal you right there in that place. So I feel like we embrace that really well, but then there's that whole like leadership thing that we don't really like that much. The idea that we would not only simply give Jesus uh, the the sin of of our hearts and we'd let him heal us, but we'd also give him the authority in our lives. Because that's harder, isn't it? But the idea for that, for the early church, was like, no, no, when you get saved, Jesus is on the throne of your heart. You give him authority in your life, and and, and you're going to mess it up, you're going to blow it, you're going to make mistakes, but Jesus is still going to forgive you and meet you right in that place. But it is a, it's a a life-changing submission that happens. We give our hearts to Jesus. So the first thing is, it's a personal announcement. We need to decide that in our hearts. So when somebody gets baptized, it's a big deal personally. I mean, something happens in your heart with the anxiety that you feel, which some of you are like, I'm supposed to get baptized today, and I already feel some anxiety, right? That's a good thing. It's okay that you're anxious. You're supposed to be a little uncomfortable. But that first step to come into the water, to to do that publicly is to kind of rehearse in your heart who gets authority in your life, right? I mean, it's a symbol to yourself to say, no, I'm going to plant my flag in the ground, and I'm going to say that Jesus is Lord, And I'm going to trust him to meet me where I am. And to forgive me for my weaknesses and to take me into what's next. The second thing is baptism is a public announcement of your decision. So it's first kind of saying something to your own heart. I really believe that something happens in your own heart. But also it's a public announcement of your decision to follow Jesus. You see, when you get baptized at ACF, here's the cool thing. You get to share your story of, of of being changed by Jesus with hundreds of people. And we're not gonna force you to get on the mic. You don't actually even have to say anything. But to simply get up and to get in the tank. We all know what you're saying is I surrender to Jesus. And when you do that, what you're doing is sharing that story with all of us and anyone else that might see it. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. We all need to see that. I love baptism Sundays. I'll, they're my favorite days because, listen, you minister to my heart when I see your life be transformed. And I need to be reminded of the mission that I'm on and that we are on as a church. So it's a public announcement of your decision. But the third thing, I want you to know this this is so important, is that baptism doesn't lead to salvation, but salvation leads to baptism. Baptism, the, the water, is it? it's not holy water, okay? It's tap water. And in fact, it was interesting, a few years ago, a guy jumped in the water and he had like a little vial, really, and he like, he got a little dip, dip of the water, and he put it in the vial and he took it home, and I'm like, dude, that's just tap water, a little bit of chlorine in it, you can go get it tested if you want, no Holy Spirit in the water, there's nothing special, it's just water, it does not save you, making a decision doesn't save you, but listen, listen, salvation does lead you to baptism, it just does. And you got to be honest with yourself, if you're not willing to take that step, what does it mean about God's authority in your life? And what does it mean if you're like, man, I'm not willing to put myself out there, then then if you're not going to get baptized, it it, it just really means that's going to be a hard relationship between you and God to submit the rest of your life to him when this is a very clear first step. But understand that it doesn't save you, it is not Uh, salvific itself, but Jesus is the one that saves you, but baptism is really the sign that you have been saved by Christ. Let's move on. Acts 1, uh, verse 6 says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, because they want Jesus to just reign and rule. They want Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire. They want Jesus to heal everything that's messed up and broken in the world, and we do too, right? right. And, and they were anxious and we are anxious. But Jesus is there to say, listen, I'm showing up in two parts. They wanted one part. They, they want one part. Jesus is like, I got two parts. I'm gonna show up here. There'll be the resurrection, but then I will come back and I will heal what's messed up in this world and I will reign and rule on earth as it is in heaven, right? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or season that the Father had, has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love that. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be those who are on mission. If you remember, uh, in Matthew 28, the great commission to go, to make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son The Holy Spirit. So we know that that's that's the mission of the church. And I love that Jesus in Acts 1, 8, he's not trying to coerce them. He doesn't say, but I would like you to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. He simply says, you're going to receive the Spirit of God. When when you truly surrender your life to Christ, the the Spirit of God's going to live inside of you, right? And when he does, you can't help but go. You can't help but be my witnesses. Now, the word witness in the church has been sort of hijacked to mean a lot of different things. Some of you, when you think of witness, you think of somebody handing out, you know, tracks on a street corner. Maybe you think of different kinds of of witnessing. Maybe you think of a conversation with a friend, which all of these can be witnessing. And to witness is simply to tell a story of what you've seen. Like, I've been a witness to a lot of things in my life, specifically what Jesus can do. So to make you a witness means that you have a story to tell, which all of you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story to tell. But the word witness, I don't know if you know this, but the word witness is actually in the Greek where we get the word martyr. And I was studying this this week, and it got a lot more difficult. Because this idea that Jesus is like, you will be my witnesses, what he's saying is you will give up everything for the sake of the gospel. Your pride, your status, your comfort, your fear. You're going to give up everything. And he's not telling them they have to. He's just saying, listen, this is coming. This is coming for those who love me, is that you will be my, and this idea of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, it's like concentric circles, right? It's like you got kind of this, we got Eagle River, we got Alaska, we got the United States, and then we've got Bobo, Prague, and Mexico, right? We just, it's its fitting that today we send out people to our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria in the ends of the earth, right? Because we today feel like this is our calling as much as it was their calling because this fits with our value as ACF Church that life is a mission and not a vacation. And as much fun as we want to have, as much as I love Alaska in the summer, here's what I know is that the mission continues. That the needs are still very evident. And that although our friends and neighbors are just running on adrenaline because we got vitamin D just pumped into our veins in the summer, that the fall is coming, right? And relationships that we establish today will create opportunities this winter. And in the the dark times and the challenging times, we will have the opportunity to share the gospel with people. Through words, through service, And the ways that we love people. You see, early Christians, they had a public faith. And they understood that when they chose to follow Jesus, it meant that they were risking their lives. To to be a witness meant to potentially be a martyr. And we know that so many of our early brothers and sisters were killed for their faith. And I don't know if you know this, but this is still happening today on a global scale. We have brothers and sisters across the world that know that to make a decision to follow Jesus and to publicly declare it means that my life may be dramatically changed. That I'd probably be disowned by my family. That that in the end, I may be persecuted to the point of death. And I think about that for the people of the early church and the people even of the church globally today, and then I kind of contrast that to what we have here in in our church and in America in many ways is sort of this personal faith, right? We've got the public faith of the early church that you would get saved and get baptized, and then for us, we're like, hey, I'm just kind of personal about my Jesus, right? I like to kind of keep my Jesus on the inside. I don't want to put him out there too much, right? I mean, talking about religion is one of those things that is sort of a, a cultural faux pas, right? We don't bring up religion at Thanksgiving dinner because Uncle Bill's going to freak out and they'll be arguing and stuff. And, and so we just, we've sort of resolved to not talk about it. And, and I've, I've heard a lot of Christians say this, I'm just very personal about my faith. And I just want you to know for the early church and, and for Jesus as he speaks to these people, that this idea of a personal faith didn't make any sense. Like, it didn't even exist. It wasn't even in their minds. A personal faith is sort of like, like a vegan hamburger, right? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't, it, it's not, a, it's not a thing. A personal faith is not a thing. And I want I to, I want to show you, like, I'm, I'm telling you to have a, not to have a personal faith, but to have a faith that's personal. And that's what they had. See, a faith that's personal has a story. You have a story to tell. And Jesus has worked in your life, hopefully, or maybe he's working in your life today. And that means you have a story to tell. So you have a personal faith, but don't keep your faith personal. Don't keep it to yourself. Because part of this surrendering to Jesus means that we will be witnesses to the world. And our first act of witnessing, you know, your first act, if you're like, I've never witnessed, Brian, you know what you get to do? Get baptized. Baptism is really our first act of witnessing. It's the first death to self because you're scared, you're anxious, you're worried about what's gonna happen. Are they gonna, you know, what are they gonna do to me when I get in the water? We'll we'll bring you back out, don't worry. Like, we'll take care of you. But there is a fear there, but you will get to witness to this crowd and I've got a secret for you. Not everybody here is a believer in Jesus. Not everybody, and and maybe you think, these are all church people, I'm the only one. You're not the only one. There are people at all different stages of their journey with Jesus here today. Let's keep going. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So that's kind of crazy, right? All of a sudden, Jesus starts floating into the heavens. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So, I mean, this is a this is a crazy moment. I mean, imagine. So, first of all, you're speaking to Jesus who um, had had been crucified and now resurrected, so appearing to you, and then he ascends into heaven, and then all of a sudden, we see these two angelic beings. And, and I just want to give these guys a little grace, because had I just seen that happen, I'd probably be standing there staring up at the sky myself, right? But here's what they say to him. In verse 11, it says, And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And I want to deal with that question. That's a great question. Why do you stand there looking into heaven? I think today in the church, we have bought into this sort of posture so, so for many of us, we show up to church on Sunday and, and, and hope to see something really cool, right? Like, like I, hope to, I hope to see God at work in some way, maybe see somebody get baptized and, and, and it's emotional when we see somebody make that, that step to follow Jesus. But I wonder, have we become satisfied in becoming spectators to the work of God in the world around us? Because that's simply what's going on here. We give these guys some grace. We're like, hey, they just saw a guy float into the sky. That's crazy, so give him, a, give him a break. But these two, these two beings come with a message, and the message is, you need to get moving. Like, what are you doing standing there? Get moving. It's time to go. The field is ripe for harvest. It's time to get to work. He doesn't give him any time to soak in what happened there. But again, we today, I feel like in our personal faith, we're just looking for another show sometimes. We're going, God, do something else cool in my life. Do something else cool in the church instead of being part of it. And I'm afraid that so many of us have become comfortable being spectators to the miracles when Jesus wants us to be part of the miracle. I want a church that wants to be part of the miracle, right? And for you, you're like, man, I think that for all of us, we wonder, is it in us to be part of it? And I want you to know if the Spirit of God lives inside of you, then it's in you to be part of the miracle. It's in you to see amazing things happen through the work of God in your life, but it takes a submission to his authority. It takes taking a step. And so on the stage here, I had my friend Jonathan um, make me a cool fence. I think it's pretty awesome. It's pretty sturdy too. I think I can sit on it. So um, I've been been looking to build a fence uh, pretty recently, and uh, here's what I learned. I learned a few things. Fences are expensive. Did you know that? Fences are really expensive. I don't know if it's just an Alaska thing or what, but man, I got a couple quotes on getting a fence built. And it was a lot of money. Uh, The next thing I realized is that fences take a lot of maintenance, especially in Alaska. You know, the the, the spring thaw and all your posts are all wonky because of the frost heaves and stuff like that. And so it just takes a lot of work. But one thing I've learned about fences as I've kind of looked into it is I thought, well, I want to build a fence between my house and my neighbor's house. As I talked to people, what I realized is that someone always owns the fence. Did you know that? Like the fence always sits on, there's this little imaginary line between you and your neighbor's house, and either you own the fence or they do, and you can go probably look it up and find out who owns this fence. Normally if it's the junky looking side, they own the fence. Uh, Normally if the nice side is towards you, it's your fence. That's just kind of how it works, but it's typically on somebody's property. And I would say in the church today, so many of us sort of are hanging out on the fence. And we spend most of our lives on the fence. Now, this isn't just with our faith. This isn't just with God. This is with a lot of things. Some of you, when it comes to your marriage, you're on the fence. You're like, I don't know what I think about this right now, right? I'm, I'm in it at about like 75% right now, Right? Some of you are taking some college classes because your parents told you to go to college, and you're at about like sixty percent that you want to do it, and the other forty percent of you just wants to party this summer, right, or, or this this school year. And so, for, for a lot of people, there's a lot of different things. Maybe it's your job, and you're sort of on the fence about your job right now. And your boss can tell, your coworkers can tell, you can tell. Like you're you're physically there, but you're not completely there because you're on you're on the fence. That's That's just how it works. You're not fully committed, fully in on these things in your life. And so because of that, those things start to kind of fall apart. When you operate in a sort of who-needs-church type of mentality, you're going to struggle a lot with the church. When you show up to church as sort of a consumer because you're on the fence and you're like, man, I don't know, I just kind of want to see another cool service, you're going to struggle a lot with church. It's going to keep you from being and seeing what God actually is doing around you. You see, I think so many people hang out on the fence, but here's what I believe that that, that Jesus wants to tell us, and and we'll get into the text in Luke 11 in a moment, but Jesus wants to tell us that, that this fence is not neutral ground, that there is no neutral ground in the kingdom of God, and that indecision is a decision. Your inability to make a decision to be fully on board or to fully submit to the authority of Jesus in your life is a decision. We can't sit on both sides of the fence. Luke eleven seventeen says this, But he, knowing their thoughts as being Jesus, speaking to a crowd of people who are asking for more miracles. They just want to see another thing. They want to gaze into the sky at really cool stuff. He says, he being, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And some of you guys are like, yeah, no, that was my house growing up. My parents were always divided. And it was just, it was bad. It wasn't just division between them. We all felt it. And ultimately, it really tore our family apart because they just couldn't, they couldn't meet up on things. They're both on the fence about things. And then he continues on in 11.23, he says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus is, is drawing a really clear line here, and he's saying, listen, I know some of you have kind of bought into this personal faith thing, have bought into this idea that you can sort of sit on the fence and dip your toes into the kingdom of God, and that in some ways that's given you security, that you show up to church consistently, and that gives you a sense of security, but you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus. And Jesus, he makes it very clear, if you're not with me, you're against me, that there is no middle ground. You can't sit on both teams. You can't just reverse the jersey whenever you want to, right? You do ultimately choose what side you're on. The fence is on a piece of property. And so you can write this down today. The enemy owns the fence, but that's where most of us began. And that's what I just want you to know today, is that if you're on the fence, that you're on the other side of Jesus. And know this too, it's okay that you're there. If you're here checking out church for the first time, and you're asking questions about faith in Jesus, know this, that you're not on the side of Jesus, but we're so glad that you're with us. We're so glad that you're here. But if you're here today and you have called yourself a Christian but have not yet surrendered your life and leadership to Jesus, know this, you're sitting on the fence and the enemy owns the fence. It is not neutral ground, but you have an opportunity today to give him authority. And I I truly believe this, that it just takes a moment for somebody to make this decision. That although there's a lot of things that go into a changed life in Christ, there's a lot of things that go into letting Jesus drive our lives, that in a simple moment we can go from being deceived and sitting what we feel like is neutral on the fence to getting into the, the, the work of God and surrendering our lives to him. And so my heart for you today is that you'd understand that indecision is a decision, but Jesus is calling you today to make a choice. And that as we begin this journey through the book of Acts, we are going to see miraculous things that happen through people who are all out surrendered to the work of God in their lives and through their lives. And here's what I really honestly think is that God wants to do that in Eagle River. I believe this. I believe that you as an individual, God has a plan and a purpose for you that he wants to use you for miraculous and powerful things, but it's going to take you getting off the fence some point being all in in the family of God. And so I want to ask you today, we're going to offer an opportunity to get baptized. So we've seen what it is, we've seen what it's about and what it's not. But once again, it's a first decision, it's a, a first step of obedience for somebody who's like I'm getting off the fence. Today's my day to be part of the family of God, to be part of the miracle instead of being only a witness to the miracles. And so I put together a little graph for you just to kind of figure out where you're at today. Uh, maybe you're, you're below the one because you're like, man, I'm just not, I'm not into this. And I just want you to know that's okay. If that's you and you're like, I'm not a believer, I'm not a follower of Jesus, that's okay that that's where you're at today. Just own that and acknowledge that, right? You're on the fence, just acknowledge that. Maybe, maybe you're just beyond that and you're like, no, I have decided to follow Jesus and there was a decision that I've made in my heart and uh, a choice that I made and it was real but I'm keeping quiet about it I'm just honestly I'm not motivated to tell anybody about it I don't really care to tell anybody about it or I'm just afraid of what might happen in my family or in my relationships if I might go public with my faith what that might mean for me maybe you're a little farther down you'd say my close friends know I'm a believer right my family knows my wife knows my husband knows my kids know Maybe my close friends know about this, but honestly, like, the people in my community, they don't don't really know about this whole Jesus thing. They don't really know that I'm here on Sunday morning. I sort of show up and go home. Um, I don't don't talk about church. I don't talk about God. Maybe you're about in the middle, and you're like, I want to get baptized, Brian. I feel it in my heart today. I've I've never done this. Um, I know there are people throughout the room that are there that have never gotten baptized, and you'd say, well, I'm scared, confused, or just unsure about it. You just have some fears in your heart and you're like, man, I just need some courage right now. And that's my prayer for you is that Jesus would give you some courage right now. Maybe you're up there at sort of, you know, this level. You're ready, but still on the fence. Like, you know today's your day. You know that you need to get baptized and that Jesus is calling you to take this step of obedience, but you're still hanging on the fence. Your knees are not gonna move in a couple minutes. You're just gonna stand there. Maybe you're there at sort of like an 8.75, whatever that is, and that's like, I I think today's the day. Like, I just, I think this is it. I know I'm supposed to make this choice. I think it's it. And that 10 there is, I'm doing this. Here's what you need to know today. Every miraculous thing that you're asking for God to do in your life happens at 10. I want you to know that. You're asking God to heal this relationship, but you're still holding on to your pride. You won't ask for forgiveness. You won't repent for the things that you've done. You won't admit where you're wrong. You're in it at sort of a five or an 8.5. The healing happens at 10. You're asking for God to bless your, your finances. You're like, God, God, I, I want you to help me out with this, and yet you've not surrendered to him in it. I want you to know God's provision happens at 10. You're asking God to heal your marriage and yet you're not bought into your marriage, right? You're like, God, could you fix her heart? Could you fix her mind? And it's like God's going, no, when you're in it at 10, then I'm gonna heal this relationship. I don't know where you're at today, but when it comes to the things of God and the things that we see him do through his church, the miracles happen at 10. It takes the willingness and desire to step over that mark, and to trust that he will catch you. And so I want to ask you today, what's tripping you up? What, what is it that's keeping you from stepping over that mark? And I just want you today, in this moment, to just give that to Jesus. Just trust him with that, and maybe, maybe what if in trusting him with that, he might empower you to trust him with more. What if there are other things in your life that that he wants to heal you from and through and he's just waiting for you to trust him with that one thing that's keeping you from taking a step to 10? Okay, you ready? Because we're gonna do this in a minute and here's what you need to know. Um, We have some people in the lobby with a table set up and if you're here today, you're like, Brian, I'm at that like 8.75 but I'm in a really nice dress today. Good news. We have like 50 pairs of shorts and shirts and everything you ladies might need uh, to take care of you so you can get baptized today. And you guys, if you're here today, we got swimming trunks and whatever you could need uh, for that out there so you don't have to go home in those clothes. Like I said, the water is 100 degrees. It's warm. I mean, our heart is just to remove barriers that are keeping you from trusting Jesus. Know this, we're not going to make you get on a mic we're going to ask you some questions in the lobby to make sure that you understand what baptism is. It's really simple. But then we're just going to baptize you unless you want to talk more about what God has done in your life. And we'd love to hear about that. Know this too. If you're a sole provider of uh, just taking care of kids today, maybe you're a single parent, um, or you've just got the kids here at church, we've already talked to our kids workers, and they would love to watch your kids you know, take care of them so that you can get baptized. If you're here today and you're like, man, I... I just want, you know, my friends to see this. Maybe my my mom's not here or my family member's not here. We have photographers and videographers who would love to film this. The photos will be taken. We can send those to you. Make sure that you get really high-quality photos of this moment so that it can be something that you remember for the rest of your life. We got hair dryers. We got towels. The only thing left is really you. And here's what I know. I know know that in this room, there's many of you who need to take this step and that this could be the moment in your life that you make a decision to follow Jesus that changes everything else because you started down the road of obedience to trusting him. So here's what's gonna happen in a moment is we're gonna pray and we don't do this very often. I'm kind of breaking our tradition a little bit. But when we pray, I'm gonna ask you if God's speaking to your heart to do something courageous. I'm going to ask you in your seat to just stand up. Just stand in your seat. And as we finish praying, what we're going to do is we're going to scream and yell and celebrate that God is working in your life. And the people in your row will gladly move out of the way so that you can get out of the row and go out these doors into the lobby and we'll take care of everything else. We're going to worship and sing in this room. And even as we're singing, if you feel like God's tugging at your heart, just go out to the lobby. And then after church here, we're gonna go out to uh, the front of the school and we've got the tank set up and we're just gonna cheer and celebrate all that God is doing in your life, okay? You guys with me? So let's bow our heads in prayer. And if that is you, would you just stand in your seat? Just be courageous in this moment. Trust that God is speaking to your heart. God, thank you so much that you desire to meet us right where we're at. God, that you, that you would forgive us and that you would lead us into better things. And God, I pray for courage for those who need courage today. God, I pray that those who think that you could never heal them of what's been broken would believe that, God, you have the power to raise dead people to life and to heal anything. God, we love you. We thank you for, for loving us. And God, we thank you that you have called us into a mission to be witnesses of your work to the world. And God, it's our desire that you would continue that within ACF Church. God, the people in our community who have thought previously who needs church, God, here in six months or a year would find themselves devoted to the God who loves them, the God who devoted everything to them. God, thank you that Jesus went all the way to 10 for us. God, thank you that Jesus didn't hesitate at the cross, that he didn't hang out on the fence at the cross, but he died for the sins of humanity. He died for my sins. God, we love you. We thank you for meeting us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And Would you celebrate those who are getting baptized today? Hey, let's stand up together. Let's stand up and let's worship together.